Despite questionable remarks by its president, Lithuania is still standing with Taiwan. Lithuanian MP Matas Maldekas tells me why in today's show. Stash Butler finds out what was behind the migrant workers' protest this week. The government is setting up a pet unit to take better care of Taiwan's furry friends. And in Hashtag Taiwan, I tell you about a website hack that flew Taiwan's colors. This is Taiwan Insider. Taiwan just imported over 20,000 bottles of Lithuanian rum that was rejected by China. Taiwanese businesses and consumers are trying to help out Lithuania as Beijing has given it a lot of pressure for welcoming a Taiwanese representative office. Lithuania's president even recently said the office's name was a mistake. Does that mean Lithuania could change the office name to Taipei? I asked that question to Matis Maudekis, the chair of the Lithuanian Parliamentary Group for Relations with Taiwan. I don't think it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. That would send a very bad message for everybody and that would send a very bad message for Taiwanese. We took this responsibility of naming it uh, Taiwanese office and we will going to stand by this. You have to understand that this is interpolitics between the president and minister of foreign affairs. Of course, there is big pressure from China. We was prepared for that, but China now is pressing not only us, it is pressing the businesses that want to invest in Lithuania. And that's new level of sanctions that we are seeing. We have to stand up to that. So I know that you're under a lot of pressure. Um, how about domestically? I recently saw that your foreign ministry uh, did a survey that found that about yeah. 60% of uh, Lithuanians actually don't agree with this new values-based policy towards China and Taiwan. So is there a lot of pressure um, domestically? Yes, domestically it's a big pressure, but you have to understand this the survey that was done. It's not about Taiwan and China. It was a survey about the question of uh, value-based politics and uh, value-based politics is very hard to comprehend and understand. Mostly it's about generational gap, I should uh, tell you. Uh, the older generation, it's very hard, hard for them to comprehend what is going on. China, where is China? What is going on? We have Russia in our back door and we have Belarus in our back door and why we're fighting China mm. also. And the younger generation, the people, the people very much understand what is going on. There is very much support. I never felt so, you know, like if you go to the coffee shops, if you go to the restaurant or to the bars in the evening, Friday and Saturday, it's like everybody's coming and saying, you keep up, never give up. <laughs> we will fight in the end. Really? Never, never. Don't even think about giving up to Chinese and the younger generation understand very much uh, what's going on and the, the, the cards we have. If, if we lose, no more European Union, NATO and other institutions. It would be just a question of time and the world we live in would be much, much different and in Lithuania case it would, wouldn't be anything we want to live in. Well, I think it's amazing that your country is standing up for Taiwan in such a way. You know, yeah. uh, we appreciate it so much. Um, I recently went to the chocolate store again. 
And <laughs> a lot of the flavors are sold out. Um, you know, Taiwan has been trying to uh, buy up yeah. some of your goods, such as, you know, the 20,000 boxes of rum that, you know, rum were stranded. And, I never knew that Lithuania makes rum. That was a surprise <laughs> to me. Made international news. I was astonished. I was astonished. If we make rum, I don't know we can't, <laughs> what we can't make then. Also, we have a $1 billion uh, U.S. dollar credit fund, yeah. uh, $200 million U.S. dollar investment yeah. fund. Is this helping uh, Lithuania? withstand some of the pressure. Uh, of course, absolutely, absolutely. It sends very clear message to everybody. It's not only about Lithuania, it sends the message to European Union and other countries also. You have to understand that everybody is watching the European Union, everybody is watching when I, what is going to happen with Lithuania case and how much we will stand up to that. So helping in, in, in this case, it sends only not the domestic message for our business, that we can do business and not relate so much on China, but it will also send a message for everybody. And it also shows the generosity of you, that you understand what we are going through. And this is very, very important politically and economically. Very important, I can assure you. So will Lithuania be able to hold up to um, the economic pressure that China is giving you? <laughs> Yes, I absolutely. We we what what happens if we lose? Uh, you understand the cards that we have. We understand the the significance of what what, what does it happens if we lose in this sense and if we lose to China. That shows that you can break a European and NATO country like no like that. What is it that shows about the Lithuania, not about the Lithuania, about European Union, about the West as a structure, as a civilization, that would show that we, we lost, the West lost, and we understand that we can't do that. We also talk about what he hopes the EU will do as China has started a trade war with Lithuania. The whole interview will be up on YouTube and Facebook. And stay tuned. There's some interesting flavors in here. Later on, I'm going to give Leslie and Emma a Lithuanian chocolate taste test. On Sunday, hundreds of people marched in central Taipei in support of migrant workers' rights. The protesters say they want to have the freedom to switch employers. They say the current rules are exploitative and that they create a form of modern slave labor. Stash Butler spoke to one of the organizers of the march, Wu Jingru, from the Taiwan International Workers' Association to find out more. Before this day, before these two years, in some very limited condition, the migrant worker can transfer sector. It means that if you are a caretaker, you might have possibility to transfer to the industrial work. Because in Taiwan, the social welfare workers was not protected by any legal law. So it means that uh, the wage is only 17,000 NT, while the, the basic salary by the law is 24. And this, this year it become like uh, 25,500. So the gap, the salary gap between the caretaker and uh, the industrial work is become huge. And also the working hours for the caretakers, they have to stand by. 24 hours whenever. So they have to take care of the patient even while in the midnight. So they don't really have the continuous rest. And most of the, the employer will expect them not to have any day off or maximum like uh, twice in a month. 
to go out of the, the, the house. So most of the caretakers are suffering a lot from like long working hour and low salary. The, the original problem become more severe in this pandemic situation. So that's the time of the employer of domestic caretaker trying to convince the government not allow the caretaker, domestic caretaker to transfer to other working conditions, uh, to other category, work, working categories. What's the government's justification for having, uh, you know, domestic caregivers on, you know, uh, having dis- different legislation essentially protecting or not protecting the labor rights of, of domestic caregivers versus the general Taiwanese population? Okay, that's a, that's a, a, a long history then. I mean, maybe you know already, as you know, that the, the social welfare system in Taiwan is always has been incomplete for such a long decades. And since 1990s, the government started to import cheap labor, as we call it, to replace the responsibility they should carry on. So far, there are so many excuses from the, from the government. At the very beginning, they said that uh, because we, we are planning to have the uh, long-term care system, so they try to delay. And when we have the long-term care system, they say that, oh, it's so difficult to have the working condition protection because it's the indoor. I mean, that's, that's a, in, inside the household. It's hard to have like, uh, the regulation for the, the factory or something. We are trying to discuss, but it seems the government doesn't really want to take responsibility, uh, responsibility for it. These migrant workers become the employers like, uh, like slaves or something. I mean, they, they, they don't care what the workers are suffering. The, the policy or the system allow or enlarge the, the unequal relationship between employer and employee. Taiwan's labor ministry responded by saying it adopted stricter rules during the pandemic to prevent employment instability. It also says there is a lack of social consensus over allowing migrant workers the freedom to change jobs. Next up, Emma has a report on a new initiative to promote animal welfare in the home. Pets have become increasingly popular in Taiwan, especially due to the COVID-19 pandemic. In light of this trend, Taiwan's government has set up a new unit to make sure these furry family members are well taken care of. Taiwan is opening the first government unit with the sole focus of improving the welfare of pets and animals. That's because pets are becoming more and more popular in Taiwan. Two out of seven households own one. Agriculture Minister Chen Ji-chung said in a Facebook post that this new unit will create at least 100 positions and have an annual budget of nearly 5 million U.S. dollars. It will monitor and manage trends in the pet industry, such as pet insurance, grooming, food, training, and pet sitting. Chen says that Taiwan needs to have a department like this because the country's pet industry is worth nearly 2 billion U.S. dollars per year. Over 2 million households own pets in Taiwan. The department will also inspect the ethics of animal performances and educate the public about the potential danger in raising animals that are invasive species in Taiwan. It will list the types of pets that need special approval or are illegal. It's clear that advocating for pets is an increasingly important issue for the millions of pet owners in Taiwan. After all, these furry and feathered friends are more like family members to their owners, and they deserve to have the government's protection. Next on Hashtag Taiwan, Leslie will tell you about a website hack that saw pro-Taiwan images posted to a Chinese website. 
At this point, I don't think I have to tell you that Taiwan is a point of contention for China. If you watch this show, then you know China claims Taiwan as part of its territory. China goes out of its way to make sure that online discussion about Taiwan adheres to two principles. Number one, Taiwan must always be mentioned as part of China, and two, News about Taiwan can never outshine China. This week, we're going to be talking about the Polar Institute of China. Now, how do we get here? Last Friday, on January 14th, hacker group Anonymous claimed that it hacked into the Polar Institute's website. Anonymous is known for carrying out cyber attacks against governments, religious institutions, and other organizations it finds to be acting distastefully. The group is frequently at odds with China, often criticizing the country's record when it comes to human rights practices. Anonymous created a web page on the website posting images of Taiwan's flag and national emblem. There were also other historical flags like an old Republic of China army flag, which I think looks alarmingly similar to a virus that we've become familiar with over the past two years. There's also the words Taiwan number one printed across the webpage in large font. That phrase comes from a meme popularized by video game streamer Angry Pug when he trolled Chinese players back in 2015. There's also a YouTube link to a song called Fragile. Now, we haven't talked about Fragile on hashtag Taiwan yet, so no time like the present. The song is by Malaysian singer Nam Wee and Taiwanese singer Kimberly Chen. In Chinese, it's called Bo Li Xing, which literally means glass heart. Glass heart is a term referring to anybody who shows extreme sensitivity to a certain subject. Specifically, the song points out how internet users, specifically internet users who support China, get whipped up into a frenzy anytime something happens that isn't in line with China's views. For example, the people who got upset when Taiwanese celebrities called Taiwan's Olympians national athletes because that implied Taiwan is a separate country from China would have been said to have glass hearts. Fragile has become something of an anthem to poke fun at those who choose to overreact on China's behalf. Now, back to the webpage. Following Namwi's song is another YouTube link to the anti-communist and anti-Russian aggression song which I don't think needs a lot of explanation. Chiang Kai-shek wrote that song. Now, he's the dude who fought Mao Zedong during the Chinese Civil War, lost, and then retreated to Taiwan. The remainder of the webpage shifted focus to de-escalating tensions between Russia and Ukraine. Now, to no one's surprise, the webpage has since been taken down. But there is an archived version, the link to which I will leave in the video description below. And I highly recommend that you check it out, because any website that advocates Taiwan number one automatically gets the Leslie Liao seal of approval. Now, Ruta Lithuanian chocolate has over 300 flavors. We're just going to try two flavors today, but oh. these two flavors are pretty <laughs> special. You guys put on your glasses. I want to see if you can guess what these flavors are. Uh, so here's a little one for you. Thank you. And reach out your hand. Here's one for you. You guys thank can you. open it up and taste it. Very special flavor. I've never seen this flavor. Oh, okay, I'll stop talking. Never seen <laughs> this flavor. This does not bode well. <laughs> you've been in that shop. 300 flavors. <laughs> you ready? I Justin? love that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going for it. Okay. Natalie, I'm going to say buttered popcorn. Oh, let people see what's inside. Oh, oh no, I, I, I took Isn't out my filling. Oh, that's a filling. Okay. Yeah. Um, buttered popcorn. I would okay. say buttered popcorn. Close. It's something usually savory. Another guess? Mm, can we have another hint? Another, something Europe has uh, is famous for? Europe is for cheese? Yes. Oh, there it is. Cheese oh. chocolate. There it is. Oh, that was, yeah, that was pretty good. 
Okay, here's right. another flavor for you guys. Try this. Mm. Cut your mm. hand. Thank you. Mm. I bet this is chocolate. like really delicious. Ah, cheese chocolate's really good, actually. Really? I was wondering what that tastes like. Nope, We've got lots of flavors you. in here. Okay. Alright, let's see. Mmm, <laughs> not sure. This one tastes more fruity to me. It does taste uh -huh. fruity. It is fruity somewhat. It took a break before it went full fruit, so I'm not 100% sure. Mmm. Something you can drink. Is it white wine? Similar. Champagne? Getting closer. Is it rum? Yes! Really? Mm. rum. Candy, chocolate wow. rum candy. Wow, that is very good. Mm. So lots of great flavors of Lithuanian chocolate here in Taiwan. They have over 50 flavors in the store, but a lot of them are sold out. Can you believe it? Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> um, we love Lithuanian chocolate and all kinds of Lithuanian goods. That is our Taiwan taste buds for today. And before we move on to our final question of the day, let's take a look at the other stories that were on our radar. Slovenian Prime Minister Janis Janša says that Taiwan and Slovenia will set up representative offices in each other's capitals. Janša says Beijing has no reason to prevent other countries from building trade ties with Taiwan. This comes after China applied political and economic pressure on Lithuania for the country's decision to allow Taiwan to open a representative office in its capital of Vilnius last year. Janša has also expressed support for Taiwan's participation in the WHO. Lawmakers from Taiwan and Japan held a virtual interparliamentary security partnership forum on Tuesday. The event came amid Japan's increasing concern about rising tensions in the Taiwan Strait. Taiwan's Navy has commissioned new high-speed mine layers built in Taiwan as part of a project worth 33 million US dollars. A total of four vessels have been commissioned with two having already entered service. Experts say the ships will enhance Taiwan's asymmetric warfare capabilities and could deter or delay an enemy attempt to land troops on Taiwan. And now for our final question of the day. Well, Ruta Lithuanian chocolate has over 300 flavors, but I'd like to ask you guys what flavor you would suggest they do next. Uh, Emma. All right, well, I picked taro. Oh, um, I actually had no good. idea what taro was until I came to Taiwan. Uh -huh. Here you can find it in so many things from ice cream or cupcakes or in drinks even that's so true. i figure why not chocolate that's true are you a fan of taro i am a fan of taro. Okay. i know it's a bit of a controversial ingredient to some people like sometimes it. it can be sweet sometimes like it can it. be salty but i like them both ways yeah, yeah. Uh, my answer is also a little controversial and i thought long and hard about it but after that taste test natalie and you showed us the cheese <laughs> chocolate I believe in this now. You guys <laughs> might think I'm crazy, but I would say chocolate goes with salted duck egg. Oh, wow. Yeah. That would be um, interesting. I thought, you know, you get a little bit of savory, you get mm -hmm. a little bit of sweet. Mm -hmm. I like the combination. I think it's going to work. It's got a little pungent. protein in there, too. A little protein in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. We're going to send this tape to Luta Chocolate. <laughs> I would suggest they do a mochi chocolate. Ooh. You know, that little, like, nice chewy texture. texture. That's good texture. You know, the Taiwanese cute. That would be so good yeah, with that'd be really good. chocolate. Yeah. So um, those are our suggestions for Ruta Chocolate. And thank you for tuning in to Taiwan Insider. For Taiwan Insider, I'm Natalie So. I'm Leslie Leo. And I'm Emma Banak. And we look forward to hearing from you on Facebook, Twitter, and on YouTube. Please do send us a comment. Yeah, let us know what you think of the show. Our Twitter handle is Taiwan Insider, one word. Anyway, guys, until next week, we'll see you around.
Taiwan Today with Natalie So. Welcome to Taiwan Today. I am Natalie So, and today we're talking about one of Taiwan's big goals for 2030, and that is bilingual nation 2030. Now, many may think that it's quite impossible to get the entire nation bilingual by 2030, and that is the case. Today, we find out what those bilingual 2030 plans really are, what the goals are, from a top official behind the plans at the National Development Council. Connie Zhang is the Director General of the Overall Planning Department at NDC. She told me that Taiwan's focus will be on its young people, especially college students. And she tells me why the government came up with this plan. And then today I want to share with you um, some of the things that it's sort of like the backdrop of why we are doing all this, because you might have known Taiwan has been playing a very important, pivotal role in the international supply chain. We have very mm. good um, industrial foundations, but there are so many times that multinational companies come to Taiwan looking for talents, and at the end, they turn to Singapore for setting up their regional headquarters. Honestly speaking, we have been very disappointed and frustrated by this kind of situation. So, you know, we have used young people, they are professionally qualified for all the jobs those multinational companies offer. But the thing is, when it comes to English speaking uh, proficiency, because, you know, multinational companies need to have people communicating with headquarters or with the original hubs in, in English. And our young people just fall short of that expectation. So they, at the end, turn to Singapore for um, their headquarters. And we just believe that something should not be happening anymore. So that is why we want to push for this bilingual nation policy. And we focus our efforts for the first 10 years into cultivating better English proficiency of our uh, young people. That sounds great. Is there also going to be a plan for, let's say, the government agencies or for inviting and, and welcoming more foreign talent to Taiwan to make Taiwan a more welcoming place for foreigners? Yes and yes. For um, government agencies, again, we have some government, well, you see the government agency have um, people who work who engage more in international affairs. So we, we don't want to create too much pressure on all government officials. Basically, mm-hmm. what we want to do at this point of time is to uh, make sure our colleagues who have their daily work engaged in international affairs needs to be those pioneers, quote-unquote, not really pioneers, but needs to be the pioneers for this policy. Like Ministry of Foreign Affairs, Ministry of Education, or even the Council of Agriculture and my department, we have uh, colleagues working daily communicating with foreign governments or um, international organizations. Those people are the ones that need to meet a certain requirement for English proficiency. Some of them are in the position already, and their English probably is not good enough for, for the job yet. We will push them to engage in personal training of their uh, English capability. But when recruiting new government officials into the administration, there's been discussion that actually we have been started our, our uh, work right now is to hire a ratio to move up, the, increase the ratio of English tests in the examination for government, for civil servants. And then as long as they show the proof they have taken the test that reached up to a certain level, then they are qualified to take the civil servants examination and become a government of, official. And for your second question, recruiting foreign talents. It's been a work that the government has been engaged in of all 
leaders. Um, first of all, we have amended our statute for recruitment of foreign talents into Taiwan, um, in which we provided more incentives for foreigners to stay here easier at visa application, less red tape for them to stay in Taiwan. But another thing for them to stay in Taiwan is you need to have an environment that is friendly to them, not only for their living in Taiwan, but also for their uh, working in Taiwan. So certainly if we can create an environment that's more English speaking, it will be easier for them to get around in Taiwan. And also if we can invite more multinational companies to set up their headquarters in Taiwan, that means more job opportunities for them as well. So all the things are being laid out to you know, moving toward to, to move toward the goal of recruiting more talents in Taiwan, making Taiwan a hub, uh, a regional hub for multinational companies, so that more and better uh, job opportunities and better salaries. I'm Natalie So, and you are listening to Taiwan Today on Radio Taiwan International. I'm speaking with a top official at the National Development Council, Connie Zhang, who is behind the plan for Taiwan's bilingual nation 2030 goals. Taiwan hopes to get its young people up to par in terms of bilingual abilities. I talked to her next about if Taiwan will be setting up more English media. The sound of the Puyuma tribe on Radio Taiwan International. Hi, I'm Leslie Liao. Do you love Radio Taiwan International's English content and wish it would never end? Well, who said it has to? The fun doesn't have to stop here. Check out our website, or our Facebook, or our YouTube, or our Twitter. Go to en.rti.org.tw for the latest Taiwan news stories. Check out Radio Taiwan International on Facebook to see great pictures of Taiwan. Go to youtube.com slash RTI English to view some of our great features. And when you're done, tell us what you think on Twitter. Our handle is Radio Taiwan underscore ENG. What are you waiting for? I'm here waiting for your message. You're listening to Taiwan Today, and I'm Natalie So. I'm speaking with a top official at the National Development Council, Connie Zhang, about the nation's plan to be bilingual by 2030. What does that mean, really? Well, she's telling me that it's about getting the young people up to par with other nations, such as Singapore, so that Taiwan can attract global companies. But I also ask her about Taiwan's local English environment, we don't have an English television channel, and I ask her if that's in the works. We had some internal discussion about setting up an English uh, TV station or TV channel. Then after um, analyzing the market at this point of time, we decided maybe it would be easier and perhaps even more efficient to use social media for uh, communication uh, for the English uh, channel. So what we're not... Um, the Ministry of Culture uh, Affairs right now is working on a channel on the social media for uh, English broadcasting. And um, that means there will be a um, sort of like a pilot project for now. Later on, we will decide on the performance of this, um, this channel to see if there's a necessity to set up an English-speaking channel. 
for the general public, if, if they want to listen to English broadcasting, they can always go on BBC and CNN, which you can easily watch uh, at home. So that is why we were deciding whether or not we want to put in all that resources to establish another TV channel. But um, right now, um, when you look at the habits of people, the way they get their um, uh, news information, a lot of them get those information on social media. So that's why we start with the social media uh, as pilot project and see how we'll go later and decide whether or not we'll move into TV station. I see. Well, these all sound like good plans. Um, what, how else do you think Taiwan will begin to be different for the average person? Are we going to see more English signs around Taiwan? Or can you describe how we're going to see this plan affect people who live here in Taiwan? Well, um, actually, from the year of 1990s um, or even earlier, the government had already worked on the bilingual project. But then the way, all the focus of, the, of that time is to change road signs into bilingual or office signs into bilingual. So you have already seen some of the signs on the islands in, in, in bilingual forms. But the thing is, right now, we, we are not only focusing on that. As I have mentioned to you, all the things that we are doing right now is a lot greater um, in scale and will have more impacts on people's lives. So certainly, the communication capability of our uh, business people, like shop owners or even restaurants owners or, or, or restaurant staff is important in terms of the uh, English-speaking environment. The goal right now is not to push only for the bilingual menus or bilingual signs. No, it's, it's not it. A better way to do is to help have our people have the incentive to improve their English proficiency. And also, while we recruit more talents, foreign talents into Taiwan, there will be more opportunities for our people to speak English, not only in classrooms, but even on the streets. So that's how we want to, um, you know, from all aspects to create the English-speaking environment. And then by changing the, the form, we provide our education to our people by creating more English-speaking environments, then gradually people will get used to speak English. Because right now, we have noticed, actually, from a business at British Council, that our people, Taiwanese people, our English-speaking capability and our reading capability are not quite at the same part. Meaning, we are good at reading, we can listen, but if you ask our people to speak, you know, to write, well, so that means there's a, a matter, an issue of confidence. So it that means is, uh, yeah. it is, it certainly is. So what we need to do right now is to give our people the opportunity to speak out. No matter you are speaking good English or not, just speak out for communication purposes. But of course, for those allies, they need to, you know, in a better English proficiency so they can communicate better professionally. But this is also sort of like a gradual work, a gradual change that we want to make here in Taiwan. So people will feel comfortable speaking English. And then for those uh, professionals, they will feel comfortable communicating in English in their professional fields. So it's an all-out effort from all aspects. Gradually, we want to make the change. That sounds really exciting. And, um, you know, I thank you for doing this for Taiwan. What do you think the goal is to achieve by 2030? What do you want to see um, different by then in Taiwan? Well, um, I have been asked many times, was it the KBF or 2030? Honestly speaking, I didn't have any idea to answer that question at all because this is like a an, an policy that 
involves all kinds of people, people of all walks of lives and in different uh, professional fields. So it's really hard to say that everybody needs to achieve a certain level of English. But later on with the uh, based on assessment that we have had but worked with the uh, British Council, I just came to realize that if by 2030, we can have our, um, say, college students reach the level of CFR B2 or C, which means like middle or higher level of English speaking, then we are successful in our uh, English uh, education. We are successful in our bilingual policy. And by that time, I'm confident we'll also see a lot more international companies establish themselves in Taiwan. We will see more of our Taiwanese companies deployed abroad with the army of our own professionals speaking good English. Yeah, that sounds great. I mean, there are actually a lot of global giants coming to Taiwan because they know that Taiwan has great talent. And I think once people, you know, upgrade their English abilities, it's going to be even more attractive uh, place for, yes. for companies to come. Certainly, certainly. That's, that's exactly what we're doing. We have all, all these industrial policy laid out, which have seen good results even during the pandemic. Um, so pretty much I would call it the last mile for us to become internationally pivotal in uh, our supply, uh, international supply chain. So bilingual 2030 uh, policy certainly is the, the key for us to achieve this goal. Well, it's very exciting. Thank you so much, Connie, for speaking with us. I've been speaking with Connie Zhang. She's the Director General of the Department of Overall Planning at the National Development Council, which is charting Taiwan's course to become a bilingual nation by 2030. is a place full of voices, viewpoints, and stories. Hear them all here on Radio Taiwan International. Taiwan, straight from the source. Listen! Are you listening? <laughs> this is the sound of my country. This is the sound of Taiwan. Taiwan, a small island with a whole world of sounds. This is News Playlist, a weekly rundown of some of the most interesting news reports brought to you by RTI. Watch along on YouTube if you like, or close your eyes and enjoy these stories by way of sound. Hello, you've just tuned into News Playlist. I'm your host, Shirley Lin. This is a program where I bring you just a collection of reports, news reports from, you know, just about the past week in Taiwan. And to start off, we have a fact that there are going to be newer and more strict penalties for drunk driving and their passengers. So drunk driving is really quite... Um, you know, serious in Taiwan, even though it's considered a pretty safe country. 
But the roads remain a dangerous place, especially the fact that we do have taxi drivers who are more reckless, maybe compared to some other countries. Let's have a listen to this report from Emma Benek. A family of four crossing the road in Kaohsiung was hit by a drunk driver, an accident that killed the mother and severely injured the others. The driver had already been convicted of driving while intoxicated twice in the past 10 years. If the driver is non-compliant in the investigation of this case, he could be fined up to 360,000 dollars and have his full name and picture released to the public. Officials say that in the past year, over 260 people in Taiwan have died due to drunk driving accidents. 40% of the intoxicated drivers in these cases were repeat offenders. Passengers riding with drunk drivers can also face charges for allowing them to get behind the wheel. The fine for these passengers has increased from a maximum of 3,000 NT dollars to a maximum of 15,000 NT dollars. The license suspension for the vehicle owner has also increased from three months to two years. The government is also trying to keep drunk drivers from becoming repeat offenders by using breathalyzer locks, which only allow them to drive if their blood alcohol content is below the legal limit. If the drivers fail to properly install this vehicle lock, they could be fined up to 120,000 dollars. Hopefully, these stricter measures will force people to consider the real cost of drunk driving and the innocent lives that it puts at risk. Emma Banak, RTI News. The word metaverse is becoming more than just a buzzword, right? With companies like Facebook who wants to change its name to metaverse, but then I don't think people have gotten used to that. And so we're still calling it Facebook. It's just better off. And I kind of prefer that name over anything else. So a new R&D center is set up by one of Taiwan's major technical universities, and it's going to help Taiwan foster talent and develop technologies in this new field, Metaverse. Tomasz Kapel is none other than a better person to talk about this in his report. National Taipei University of Technology has founded Taiwan's first R&D center for the metaverse and extended reality. The opening ceremony took place on Friday with government and industry representatives in attendance. The center is the brainchild of the head of NTUT's Department of Interactive Design, Cao Xiaoyue, who worked with other specialists in the field. In addition to bringing together the university's information engineering and design experts, it will also join up with companies such as Meta, BenQ, Yahoo, Moonshine Animation, and Speed3D Incorporated. Together, the center and these companies will develop ideas for university courses and cooperative projects between academia and industry. Professor Cao says the center will focus on creative virtual content in the areas of education, gaming, and productivity. She says that on top of nurturing talent, the center will work with both local and national governments and research the application of new technologies in areas such as medicine. The center will provide motion capture, virtual reality and augmented reality, virtual manufacturing and 3D building software, as well as software for applications like electronic music. It plans to continue its cooperation with organizations such as the Matsu National Scenic Area Administration, with which it is developing smart tourism applications, as well as the Taiwan Creative Content Agency. The university hopes it will become a starting point for the development of the metaverse sector in Taiwan. Tomasz Koper, RTI News. Our dear president, President Tsai Ing-wen, was at the commissioning ceremony of two out of four planned high-speed mine-laying ships in Taiwan. And they're the first. And in fact, they're made in Taiwan. I bring you this report. 
President Tsai Ing-wen attended the commissioning of two out of the planned four high-speed mine laying ships the Navy has ordered. The ceremony took place Friday at the Navy's Zhouying base in Kaohsiung. Taiwan spent over 33 million U.S. dollars building the four ships. Construction of the vessels began in May 2019. They were delivered to the Navy at the end of 2020 and in mid-2021. Each ship can displace up to 376 tons of water and reach a top speed of 14 knots. The vessels are equipped with T-74 machine guns and 20-millimeter cannons. Each ship has four automated mine tracks with a self-propelled trolley. The system can be operated remotely to move the mines to the stern before they are dropped into the water. President Tsai said that the project is an achievement for Taiwan's defense ministry. She said it also shows the world Taiwan's determination to protect itself and to enhance its combat capabilities. Hi, I'm Leslie Liao. Do you love Radio Taiwan International's English content and wish it would never end? Well, who said it has to? The fun doesn't have to stop here. Check out our website, or our Facebook, or our YouTube, or our Twitter. Go to en.rti.org.tw for the latest Taiwan news stories. Check out Radio Taiwan International on Facebook to see great pictures of Taiwan. Go to youtube.com slash RTI English to view some of our great features. And when you're done, tell us what you think on Twitter. Our handle is Radio Taiwan underscore ENG. What are you waiting for? I'm here waiting for your message. You're listening to News Playlist. I'm your host, Shirley Lin, and I'm going to continue to bring you some reports, news reports from Taiwan in the past week or so. Uh, the next one coming up is the fact that as the number of local COVID-19 transmissions continue to grow in Taiwan, the army is actually helping local governments um, carry out disinfections of public areas. And we're talking about large-scale disinfections. Thomas Capella has the report. Soldiers from the Taiwanese Army's Chemical Corps spray disinfectant in every nook and cranny at the Taoyuan Airport Light Rail Terminal in Taipei. They were dispatched to work with Taipei City's Department of Environmental Protection and carry out large-scale disinfections ahead of an expected travel peak over the Lunar New Year. City government official Chen Jianliang says that he expects disinfection work at Taipei's train and light rail stations to last two days. Of particular attention are concourses, ticket offices, bathrooms and stairwells at major stations. Increased disinfection measures will also be applied to 10 types of public spaces including quarantine hotels, taxi rest areas, parks, night markets and department stores. Also in Taipei, the National Taiwan Science Education Center was closed on Monday morning for disinfection. Authorities say that a person later confirmed as infected with COVID-19 visited the location on Thursday prompting the center to partially close for three days. Parents unaware of the closure were turned away at the door. One local parent, however, says she is not overly concerned about the possibility of infection as long as she wears a mask and avoids places visited by the infected. The patient also went to an amusement park next door, but not all details of that incident have yet been released. People are reminded to wash hands and wear face masks as domestic infection numbers continue to rise in Taiwan. Tomas Koper, RTI News. As those of us who live in Taiwan know that Kanding in southern Taiwan is like one of the most popular uh, tourist sites to go to during holidays. And now that with Lunar New Year holiday coming up, we do have a lot of people who made reservations to stay at hotels in Kanding, which is a beautiful beach resort area, um, just a lot of beaches anyway. And the weather is nice and it's warmer down there and everything. But with a looming, you know, a rise in domestic cases of COVID, um, some people are canceling their reservations while others are waiting out to see what happens. 
So Leslie Liao has that report for you. People packed Kunting streets during a long holiday weekend last October. Back then, Taiwan had just emerged from its biggest domestic COVID-19 outbreak of the pandemic. Kunting is a top vacation destination in Taiwan, and it has enjoyed a boost in tourism as people opt to travel domestically rather than internationally. In the lead-up to Taiwan's Lunar New Year weekend, hotels are either fully booked or getting there. But now, a recent rise in local COVID-19 infections in Taiwan is threatening that business. One Kunting hotel says that booking rates remain stable. There are cancellations, but no more than there usually would be. However, at another hotel, cancellations are beginning to ramp up. Businesses in Kunting are on edge. If the COVID-19 situation worsens, or if public confidence in Taiwan's situation wanes, it could mean that people will cancel their plans for Taiwan's biggest holiday. In the summer last year, Kunting only saw around two million visitors, the lowest number in 38 years. For now, it seems most travelers aren't rushing to cancel. However, with the prospect of a larger outbreak looming ahead, Kunting's tourism industry is in a precarious position. Leslie Liao, RTI News. So, with domestic COVID-19 cases on the rise in Taiwan, people are worried that maybe the COVID alert level will be raised from the current level two to level three. But then, that's not so, according to a Taiwanese epidemiologist. I bring you that story. This restaurant owner is serving up a bowl of delicious hot soup. People are enjoying nice hot food at this eatery while it's cold outside. Life in Taiwan is still relatively normal, but when a woman is asked if she's worried that the COVID alert level will be raised, she said she is. She said people's daily lives will be affected and there will be many restrictions. But she said it seems everything is under control in Taipei. Another woman said she's not that worried because she thinks everyone is taking precautions. Domestic cases jumped to a new high this year on Monday, with 17 new cases in Taiwan. That's after a long stretch of zero cases. Some doctors are advising the public to get their booster shots. Epidemiologist Lin Shibi said 17 cases sound like a lot, but since all contacts have been traceable for each case, people have no need to panic. He said he doesn't see the need to raise the current COVID alert level. Health Minister Chen Shizhong, however, admitted that there must be some cases yet unaccounted for. The biggest concern for local communities at this stage is possible transmission chains that might still be hidden. Taiwan and Japan just recently concluded security talks. Now, the two countries have had a long history of providing aid to one another in times of need, so this is great news. Stash Butler is here with that story. It's standing room only. Lawmakers from Japan and Taiwan met virtually on Tuesday in a packed-out new forum for discussing security cooperation. Taiwanese legislator Zhao Tianlin wants Japan and Taiwan to strengthen ties by encoding them in a new Japan Relations Act and Taiwan Relations Act. Tuesday's talks aimed to boost security cooperation in the Taiwan Strait and the Indo-Pacific and help to maintain stability in Northeast Asia more generally. Speaking through an interpreter, Japan's former senior vice minister of defense, Yasuhide Nakayama, says he views Taiwan's proposals positively. Tuesday's forum comes a day after Japan's foreign minister stressed the importance of peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait. Minister Yoshimasa Hayashi says it's vital that Japan shows firm opposition to any actions that increase tensions in the region. With increasing international discussion of Asia-Pacific security issues, Japan is making it clear it needs a seat at the table. Stash Butler, RTI News. For News Playlist, I'm Shirley Lin. See you next week.
Thank you for tuning in to Radio Taiwan International, Taiwan's national broadcaster. We hope you enjoyed our programs. You can catch all of our latest news, audio, and video features on our website at en.rti.org.tw. Again, go to our website en.rti.org.tw for engaging news, videos, and programs about Taiwan. If you like to hang out on social media, RTI is there too. Our Facebook URL is Radio Taiwan International. And you can watch our engaging video features, including the weekly news magazine program Taiwan Insider, on our YouTube channel, RTI English. Again, our YouTube channel is RTI English. For those who enjoy the Twitter sphere, our handle for Taiwan Insider is at Taiwan Insider. For RTI English, it's at Radio Taiwan underscore ENG. And if you'd like to enjoy us on your smartphone, just download our app RTI to go. That's one of the best ways to enjoy all our news, videos, and programs. That's RTI to go. If you're a shortwave listener, we have two channels in Asia. For South Asia, tune into 6100 kilohertz from 1600 to 1700 UTC. To Southeast Asia, you can hear us on 15320 kilohertz from 0300 to 0400 UTC. We would love to know what you think of our programs. Email us at english at rti.org.tw. Thank you again for tuning in to Radio Taiwan International. Music